This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. All right. Welcome to Tax Tuesday. If you're looking for Tax Tuesday, you're in the right spot. If you're looking for something else like Barney, I think it's on another station. So first off, happy 2024. Barney's not so bad. Used to watch VHS tapes of Barney. If you guys remember that, and you get that anxiety when you'd hear it spinning and rewinding when your kid's watching it repeatedly, you just start to sweat a little. Yeah. yeah. Barney's giving me chills. All right. So 2024, welcome uh, to this first edition of the new year. If you're looking for, for getting some tax knowledge to the masses, you're in the right place. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. And uh, we all survived another year. So we all get a star. Sherry, happy new year to you out there. You guys can always chat. I'm Toby Mathis, and this is Jeff Webb. And uh, we're going to be your guides today. So uh, what we're going to do today is answer a bunch of questions. Uh, we, you guys submit questions throughout the weeks, and we grab them, and Elliot goes through them so we can blame him if they're crappy questions. Uh, if they're good, then it's it, it was Jeff. <laughs> and uh, we'll go through those questions, and then you can always email in questions at Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors. That's where we grab the questions that we go over, usually about 10 to 15 every session. And then if you need a real detailed response, uh, please become a client. It's not that expensive. I think it's whatever it is per month. It's not that much, less than a hundred bucks. And you could ask away all the questions you want. Plus we actually have a live knowledge room every day now. I think it's every day. Is there a day that they don't do it? Every day our doors open. I am in there along with a bunch of attorneys and CPAs. Attorneys and CPAs every day. If you're a platinum client, you could use this every single day. I think it's nine to two Pacific Standard Time. You could pop in there and ask a question. You could always email. You could always do that too if you're a client. But just so you know, like we really do enjoy having kind of open format where we're teaching and we're answering questions. Then if you have something that's an emergency, Hop on and the attorney will grab you, put you in another room and, and answer your questions individually. Or if they need to get on a call with you, they'll do that too. Easy way to make it work. You know, some people are like, I like phones, right? To sit there. I don't like that. Pop it, enjoy it, join us in the knowledge room. Yeah. One of the nice things about that knowledge room, we are nine to two on there. And there's always somebody from various departments. Uh, I saw James Morris from uh, Entity Processing in there this morning. So when you ask a question, it can be a multifaceted question and we got, we'll yeah. discuss it between attorneys and accountants and so forth. And that's the fun. And that's it. Like, here's a question that just came in. Quentin, you don't have to retype it. You, uh, you by the way, you guys can do Q&A for a detailed question. Like if you have a, a tax question that's been eaten at you, ask it in the Q&A. Otherwise you can make comments in chat, but somebody was just chatting there and I read the chats as we go along because I like to see what you guys have to say. And he said, hey, the, my C-Corp has a year-end, uh, says its fiscal year-end is September 30th. Does that mean my year-end is September 30th? And interestingly enough, yes, that's exactly what it means. It means that your corporation's December 31st is September 30th. A lot of government or entities, for example, use that year-end. But you could pick a different year-end for your C-Corp. Your LLC tax is a C-Corp, but not much else. I think the rest of us are stuck with that 1231 which is always fun. We love the 1231. Hey, uh, real quick, before we get into all the questions, let me know where you're sitting, what city and state, and intoxicated's not a state. I already know I'm going to get a few of those, but there we got Orlando, we got Nevada, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Anchorage, Dallas, Denver, Albany. Ooh, now they're flying by too fast. Capolay, I saw that. I saw uh, Costa Rica. I saw 
Hawaii, I saw Arkansas, I see Maine, Tennessee, Colorado, San Antonio, Texas, Pensacola. I love Pensacola. Florida, Pura Vida. You're sitting in Pura Vida. That's why wife's. If, if you're in Miami, you're, you're on my poop list right now. I'm going to give you the stink eye. That's where she wants to be right now. Marksville. Uh, somebody see up there in Miami. Palm Beach. Everybody's having a good old time today. So I'm just glad. Like, we have people from all over the place. There's Destin, Florida. Parents used to live in Santa Rosa Beach right down there. Here from PA. Grew up in uh, Mo, in uh, Wallingford Elementary School. What was it? Media. There we go. I grew up in Media, Pennsylvania, outside of Philly. Michigan, California. Got people. Michigan. Ooh, you guys are going to be playing the uh, Huskies for the national championship. So anyway, this will be a whole bunch of fun. Get, get to taxes. Enough of this nonsense. Let's get in. So some of you guys are already antsy. You're ready. All right. Here's the questions we will be answering today. I owned a condo for the last 28 years and depreciated it down to zero. In January this year, I sold the condo to the renter in an installment sale. For the next 10 years, I'll receive monthly payments with a balloon payment at the end of 10 years. My question is as follows. Do I have to recapture the depreciation and pay tax on it? Am I too late to do a 1031 exchange at this time? Good questions. We will answer that. What would be the best way to sell a small business and limit as much as possible the tax implications? Good question there, too. When are crypto earnings taxed? Oof. It depends, but we'll get to that. I think we're going to be talking about soft forks, hard forks, staking, all that fun stuff. All right. For real estate professional status, what activities classify for the 750 hours? Does training, traveling, searching for properties? Good questions, and we'll answer them. I self-manage a single short-term rental that I own. I want to pay my kid who is 16 years old for doing legit work for the Airbnb at a reasonable rate. Do I just write them a check every month based on the hours they log, or do I have to hire a payroll company to issue them a check? I do not have any other employees. I don't, if I don't hire a payroll company, how do I issue them a W-2 form? Thank God I have Jeff sitting next to me for this one. I'm a bit of an idiot on those things. Uh, Hi, I'm planning to start lending money to real estate investors. Other private money lenders I know do their lending businesses through an S-Corp. I currently don't have an LLC or an S-Corp for lending. I have a Wyoming holding LLC that I open to use for real estate investing. Which would you advise is best for private money lender? An LLC, an S-Corp, any other, and why? Great questions. I turned a home into a rental in the middle of the year. Can I take a whole year of depreciation? Can I utilize cost segregation? And what value do I have to use when starting out since I own the home for several years. Do I use the current value of my home or do I have to use the actual cost base when I purchased it? I have a 50-50 partnership with a friend and we own two short-term rentals together. Each of us is materially participating in one short-term rental each. Is there a way to take full cost seg advantage against our respective W-2s or can we only take 50% of one property against our W-2 and the other person? It will go to the passive bucket and vice versa for the other property. Really good question. That was a really interesting Yeah. Question. I'm going to say, Elliot, where do I do this stuff? That is really loud and really long. Yeah, I see somebody else clap too. For Elliot, you picked a good question, my friend. All right. I am a W-2 earner. Can I save taxes if I buy a long-term rental? We'll answer that. I'm getting a lot of pushback against cost segregation from my accountants. They say that it could trigger personal property issues in Maryland and that the cost of the study is prohibitive. What say you? It'd be interesting when we get there. 
That'll be towards the end. All right, first off, guys, I have Elliot, Troy, Yulia, Ross, Tanya, Jared, Amanda, Elisa, and Matthew, and Patty, all sitting around waiting to answer your questions. If you go into Q&A, you could, you could pick the brains of some really great CPAs, tax attorneys, EAs, and other folks. So it's fun. We're going to have some fun today. So if you have a question, throw it in there because they love to answer questions. So especially Amanda. Amanda, I heard that you like to answer questions. So I'm just going to say Amanda loves to answer questions. Probably Tanya too. Maybe Jared. Definitely Elliot. Maybe Troy. Yulia. Lisa, Ross, up in the air, but we'll see. I have a feeling that they like to answer questions. So make sure you ask them a lot of questions. Speaking of questions, hey, there's my YouTube page. Go on. And if you've never subscribed to my YouTube page, this would be a good day to do it because we are just under 300,000. <laughs> like if you just give us that little shove, I think we're probably within 10 or 20 people away from hitting over that 300,000. Not that we're vanity metrics, but we're vanity metrics. So it would help. Plus mine's more than Clint. I can make fun of him that way. I'd say, dude, why are you so far behind? So I was listening to one of your videos this morning, uh, talking about 7030. Well, that's this one. That's uh, Build Endless Passive Income. Let's see if I can actually circle it. Whee! That one right and, there. And it was actually one that I've listened to a couple of times because I think it's one of those that you have to listen to more than once for it to actually take when you're breaking down. It took me 20 years. <laughs> Took me 20 years to figure So, yeah, out. all that to say, you know, watch these. There's a lot of good information in both Clinton and Toby's videos. Yeah. Uh, Clinton has a page too. You guys go to my page, go to Clint's page. He, he tends to focus more on the on the structures. Yeah. yeah. He does more on the, on the land trust and LLCs and corps and CTA and all that. Uh, whereas I probably spend more time on the tax and a little bit more of the wealth building side. Yep. So we're the yin and yang. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Both sides of it. We try. Been doing this a long time, and it's whatever floats your boat at this point. It's like what 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 brings you joy. You know what brings me joy is helping people keep more of their money. Helping people make money is really cool too. But at the end of the day, this uh, this last month, it's just been like drinking from a fire hose of different scenarios. Mm -hmm. You have so much thrown at you. You're trying to do your best, and in some cases, you do some amazing things where you're able to save people just a truckload of money, and sometimes you're able to bared it down. But whatever, it's always like a little puzzle, and it's a lot of fun. If you like that sort of thing, by the way, we're doing tax, uh, the tax and asset protection workshop. I know I'm teaching it this weekend on Saturday, so feel free to come on. That's definitely a live one. I'm not sure if it's Clint or Brent. I think it's Clint coming on to do this one in January. Yeah, it's January 6th, so it's coming right on up. Just feel free to, to join us. We have a lot of fun on those, which is always cool. And uh, you don't need, you can ignore this button. There we go. Let's jump into some actual content. I gotta get some content. Let's get this done. I owned a condo for the last 28 years and depreciated it down to zero, mm -hmm. which happens if you own property for 27 and a half years and you don't replace major components, I suppose. I have a feeling that you have some more depreciation there. We gotta get out of there. I sold the condo to the renter in installment sale. For the next 10 years, I'll receive monthly payments with a balloon payment at the end of 10 years. My question is as follows. Do I have to recapture all the depreciation and pay tax on it? Am I too late to do a 1031 exchange? What do you say? I'll answer the second question first. If you've already sold it, you, it is too late to do a 1031 exchange. Also, 1031 exchanges do not work well with installment sales. It's possible to do it, but they're a pain. Like You actually have to have the QA receive all the money, right? Correct. You, you cannot have the note in your name. Or the QI, excuse me. 
I knew what you meant. Somebody says, what is a 1031 exchange? It's a tax-free exchange of real estate. So I sell one property and I buy another property for equal or greater value, uh, or it could be multiple properties. It could mm-hmm. be I sell one property, buy 10. It could be I sell 10 and buy one. Uh, but what I'm doing is I'm exchanging property, usually within 180 days. There's a reverse exchange that does it differently or a swap that does it slightly differently. But in a t- traditional 1031 exchange, a starker exchange is what they call it, you have 180 days. You have 45 days to identify replacement property or properties, depending on which method you're using, which is far beyond what we're going to be discussing today. And then you swap it into another property, but you can't touch the money. Correct. So you have, you have to go through what's called a QI, a qualified intermediary. And uh, yeah, you have to do it when you sell. You can't have t- touched the money. And they don't work well with installment sales. Like almost impossible to paint in the condition. Yeah, unfortunately, if you receive a dollar from your sale, it turns into a dollar of gain. So this can go south. But the other question about depreciation recapture, yes, to my knowledge, even though it's fully depreciated, you you recapture it all in the year of the sale, I think. Correct. However, and and that's kind of the downside. I don't know. Is that broken up between installments? Mm. Okay. I think you have installment sale. Uh, Elliot or any of the accountants, please correct us if we're wrong. But I'm pretty darn certain that when you do an installment sale, the uh, the recapture is in year one, and the gain and the interest. I think you're you have, right. You have you have interest, and the return of basis is spread out over ten years. So plus, plus the the final bonus. Let me know, Elliot. Or yeah, well, typically your 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 recapture is handled right away off the top gain, cash gain. So you have to handle that first, I would think, like you're saying, Toby. Yeah, I think that's the case. So if I have $500,000 to depreciation, but my gain is only $250,000, my recapture is going to be limited to that gain. It's only going to be on that $250,000. You don't recapture everything. Uh, you only recapture up, until the, up to the amount of your capital. It comes out of the gain, right? Yeah. 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 And it's what? At most, 25%. Yeah, it's your ordinary bracket up to 25%. Everybody just says 25% could figure it. The only issue here is you have some depreciation that you didn't take to. So like you have some adjustment of basis. I don't know if that's going to change things for you. Depreciate it. Now you have some non-depreciated. I guess it wouldn't really matter. <laughs> Maybe it'll adjust your basis. So if I did like a new roof and stuff, would that impact my recapture? Possibly. Uh, you probably got some, this drives people crazy, but you probably got some land included in that. And I know your condo is not sitting on any land. You don't own the land, but IRS considers part of it to be land. Yeah, so it was 25% of what? You, you pay uh, recapture. So if I took depreciation while I owned a piece of rental property, which is, means I'm taking a deduction against the rents or creating passive loss, uh, whatever the case, I am taking a deduction against whatever income's coming in off that property. When I sell that property, I actually have to recapture that at my ordinary tax bracket, capped at 25%. But like Jeff said, your recapture is part of the gain. It's limited to the gain. So right. what you usually do is you break it down and say, here's the, the gain, here's the recapture. That will give you your, your, the, your net capital gain that you have to pay tax on. And so in this case, your accountant's going to be spreading that 10 years out. You're going to have a big recapture, and then you're going to be spreading out the capital gain over 10 years. So depending on what you actually made on this, depends on the recapture, you could have either be it could be a really small amount because if you bought this 28 years ago, chances are it's a smaller amount compared to the gain. Imagine you've had some great appreciation. What's weird on condos is you can actually have a zero land value. Uh, I learned this the hard way. It depends on what the assessment is. And if you're 
a building is assessed at zero land, you may have depreciated the whole dang thing, in which case <laughs> you're going to have a an ouch. Uh, you're going to have some recapture. Ouch. So uh, somebody says, what do you mean by the recapture of capital gains? You have recapture and you have capital gains. Recapture is the depreciated amount you pay tax, zero to 25% on it, depending on what your tax bracket is. On capital gains, depending on how long you held it, this was more than a year. So their capital gains would be long-term capital gains, which will be at zero, 15 or 20%, depending on their tax bracket. So when you do an installment sale, the reason people like installment sales is because I'm spreading out the recognition. So mm-hmm. I may be able to put it into the 0% or 15%, much more so than hit, getting hit at that 20, which really isn't 20, it's, it's 23.8 because we have a net investment income tax and we're spreading it out over years. The, the other thing you have to be aware of is you're gonna have interest no matter what. You're gonna be imputed or you're gonna have to pay tax on whatever a portion is, is attributable to the interest that's being paid. So you're actually gonna have long-term capital gains, you're going to have recapture, you're going to have interest income, you're going to have return of basis, which is zero. And you're basically going to have to track those over that that stretch. First year, you'll knock out the recapture, but the rest of the time, you're stretching it out, those three things over a period of uh, 10 years. And then your balloon, it's when you receive the money is when it's taxable. So at the that 10th year, you're going to get push. So anyway, isn't that fun? Somebody that says, if you depreciate the house down to zero and then give it to a nonprofit, can you take a deduction again? Yes. That's why we love doing that. So when you depreciate a house, so Dion just nails it out of the park on that one. If you have your own 501c3 and you're interested in doing work, like maybe you're, maybe it's veterans, single moms, maybe it's transitional housing, whatever the case, or maybe you just want to do uh, Section 8 housing, you can give it to your own charity. Like you could set up a charity. You don't own it, but you control it and you get a fair market value deduction. So I can actually donate my condo or whatever. I shouldn't be saying this because this guy's listening, he's gonna cry a little bit now. But you actually take a nice big tax deduction when you do that, and now you don't have any gain recognition. There's no tax to the exempt entity. The money is now in a charity. So a lot of you guys are givers anyway, and you're like, hey, I can give a lot more if I don't have to pay tax and recapture on this thing. And no depreciation recapture. Yeah, no recapture, no gain, no nothing. And uh, yeah, plus if you buy more property with it, you usually can escape county real estate taxes too. So I actually like that. So anything else on this one? Nope. All right, let's move on. What would be the best way to sell a small business and limit as much as possible the tax implications? In my opinion, the best way to sell a small business is a stock sale. Unfortunately, nobody, almost nobody will go for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So are you going to pull that tax cut out? You can, well. There's a couple ways to go about this. So most buyers, to Jeff's point, want to buy assets. Mm-hmm. And they want to buy assets because the liability stays with the company, number one. And they may not want the liability of buying that business and having some lawsuit from something that occurred three or four years ago pop up or five years ago, six years ago. They want to know, hey, I'm buying this and I don't need to deal with that nonsense. But number two, they want to be able to write off and take a deduction for whatever they buy which means I can't deduct the stock I buy. So for example, if I buy Microsoft, I buy shares of Microsoft, I get no deduction for that. But if I buy computers from Microsoft as a business, I could depreciate the computers and I could get a write-off. So if I'm buying Jeff's business, and let's say it's a pizza shop with a big oven, bunch of stuff, I can depreciate that. And even the goodwill I could depreciate. It's over 15 years, but it's an intangible asset that I could depreciate and write off. Whereas if I bought Jeff's stock, 
I don't get to write anything off. Jeff, on the other hand, as the seller, gets capital gain treatment. Now it gets better. If you sell your business and it's capital gains, you could do things like qualified opportunities on, actually, you could do that on that yeah. previous question too, on the, on the real estate. Not so I didn't talk about it, but uh, you could technically, if somebody sells that property, they could go back and do a qualified opportunity zone, which is a little bit complicated for me, a red herring, but you could do that. There's another one, which is the uh, 1202, which is if you are a small C corporation or taxed as a C corporation, you've had the business for five years, your tax is zero up to $10 million, excuse me, minimum of $10 million, 10 times your basis minimum. So like if I sell a small business and I sell it for 3 million bucks, and that's a C-Corp or LLC taxes a C-Corp, and I've had it for, for five years and I make the requirements of 1202, I'm the original stockholder and it's a small business, good idea is that I'm not gonna have to pay any tax on it. Mm -hmm. The other route is if you are an S-Corp, there's something called a 330, what is it, 336H10 or 336H8, which is I get to treat it as the seller as a stock sale. The buyer gets to treat it as an asset purchase, but but not for tax reasons, just in general. Like I get to sell it. I could sell them the stock. I'm still treating it as an asset sale, which may or may not be okay, depending on what type of goodwill it is. Like that could still be a capital asset. So I might still stretch, you know, still get preferential long-term capital gain treatment, but then they get to write it off. And that might be something that you get to explore, but that's only for S-Corps. And this is the tax code I was hinting at. It's kind. So you're the seller, the buyer only wants to do an asset sale, basically taking everything off your hand. You want as much of that value because you're going to have to break down what, what they're buying yep. and how much you're applying to each piece. You want as much as possible against capital assets. And then the IRS doesn't have to listen to whatever you guys say. They can go and put whatever the substance of the transaction is. So you guys could all agree, hey, this is all goodwill, but there's a whole bunch of equipment and they say no. Correct. They might want that to be ordinary tax treatment to you. Yeah. I mean, it might be as little as limiting your sales price to the bases, your bases and different equipment and all. Uh, saying it's goodwill that you produce is a great one because that gets capital gains treatment. Never really understood that, but yeah. Here's another one is depending on the type of business, you could always contribute that business partially to uh, an exempt entity, or you could do an installment sale. There's, there's different ways to approach this. It can get very complicated very quickly. But let's say that I have a business that I've owned for a number of years and I know it's valuable and I sell it to a trust that's for my kids, maybe on an installment sale, and then they sell it, but they step up the basis to its fair market value on the date that I sell it. It means I could avoid a big chunk of capital gains on that mm -hmm. uh, if I do that proactively. I can't do it with a transaction that's eminent, I could do that ahead of time. I could donate some of this to charity. If it's like a C Corp, I could potentially do that. Even an S Corp, I could potentially do that. After the fact or during, the, let's, let's do it during the transaction, I could do an installment set where I say, hey, I don't wanna get hit with all this tax. Why don't we do it over five years? I'm more interested in the revenue. Yep. If you're going to roll up your business, for example, you have somebody who's buying you, but they wanna merge you into like private equity, and they want to put you in a parent company, you may be able to roll tax-free some of your company shares into the new company shares. So for example, if they come in and they say, we're going to buy you, uh, but we're, we're going to pay you out on 50%, we want you to roll 50% of the purchase price up into the new entity. 
and they're basically partnering with you on a new one, mm-hmm. you could avoid tax on it. You could stretch it out over many years with an installment sale and 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 stretch out the tax that way. There's 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 a lot of different complexity here. So it's a yeah, because normally if if I exchange this stock for this stock, it's a taxable event. If I sell this and then take that money and buy this, but with a merger that works differently, that mm-hmm. I'm getting stock for my stock and I don't have it's not. Usually it's a contribution into yeah. the partnership, right? You're, right. You're doing it that way, but that, that's perfect. Like, and that actually work, works really well. Uh, where it gets a little more expensive is if you're putting a lot of the sale towards non-compete agreements, uh, things where you have to work in the business for a couple of years. Those are all going to be taxed at your ordinary rates. So um, can get a little more expensive that way because you have higher tax rates. Mm-hmm. Perfection. And somebody says, question number one, if the seller took straight line depreciation on that condo, they can realize the depreciation recapture pro rata based on the profit percentage. All right, we'll take a look at that. We might be wrong. If they took bonus or appreciated, then it's all that recapture is due in the sale. So if it's real estate, you can't take bonus depreciation or accelerated depreciation. It's always straight line. If it's real estate? If it's real estate. Even when you take- Yeah, 1250 property is 27 and a half years straight line. Mm Mm-hmm. And commercial 39 years straight line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the real estate component. You're breaking off the personal property when you're doing a cost seg and writing that off faster. Mm. All right, we'll take a look at that one, Elliot. So one thing we do in that case is I'm selling my rental and I've done a cost segregation or something. That's why I have all this 1245 property. When I sell my property, I am putting all the proceeds towards the real estate, not the personal property part. Mm-hmm. I'm basically abandoning the personal property. That's usually how people write it up because it, it makes sense. If I'm selling a building and I have a bunch of land improvement or let's just say carpeting, mm-hmm. the last thing they're buying is the carpeting. Save zero value. And what that does is keep me from having to recapture that 1245 depreciation. At ordinary. At ordinary rates, correct. Probably just lost 99% of the people there. Sorry. All right. So that question was a little bit complicated. Let's dive into one that's a little more straightforward. When are crypto earnings taxed? It depends. Gosh, bless it. Uh, Let's do what most people are doing. I'm buying and selling crypto. It's considered, let's treat it like a security. So when you buy it, it's not a taxable transaction. When you sell it, you pay capital gains tax on the difference between your buy and sell. That's scenario number one. What if I trade a Bitcoin for some Dogecoin? It is a taxable event. Uh, it's considered a sale to Bitcoin and a separate purchase of the Dogecoin. What if I trade my Bitcoin for a Lamborghini? <laughs> so yeah, you're going to have to recognize any capital gain you have on that Bitcoin. But but that also gets into scenario three for the person you sold or bought the Lamborghini from. Mm-hmm. It comes down to that crypto is not currency. It's considered property. So it's like, imagine that you're just dealing with shares. Uh, we like crypto because they're not subject to the lost sale or the wash sale loss rule, because they're considered property, they're not considered a security, but it's best to think of, I have Microsoft shares and I want to buy a computer. I have to sell those shares and then buy the computer in Mm -hmm. crypto, that's what's going on. So crypto earnings are taxed when you trade the crypto for another crypto or you trade it for other property or you sell it. What if I sell crypto and buy silver then the crypto is, I sold the property, crypto, I recognize the gain and then I buy silver. So there's no tax-free way to do it unless you put it in an IRA or a Roth or a 401k or another exempt entity, even using a charity word. So what if I 
mine or stake. I create this crypto. Then, all right. So staking is ordinary income when you get paid. Mm -hmm. Hard fork, that bonus, those, those airdropped tokens are taxed when they're re received. When you mine, you're taxed at the value on that day of the value that is mined. So if I create a Bitcoin at $40,000, my income is 40,000 minus my expenses, my electricity and things like that. But once that date, once I've mined it, now my basis is that's my basis. Mm -hmm. So if it's 40,000, it's 40,000. Anything above that is then capital gain. And if I hold it for more than a year, it's long-term capital gain, less than a year, it's, it's short-term. So staking uh, and mining are ordinary income activities. Trading, uh, selling the crypto, that's capital gain because it's the sale of property. And if you're accepting cryptocurrency for people to buy stuff from you, it's treated pretty much whatever the value was is ordinary income to you. Well, it's treated as though if, you received that. You, yes. Yeah, yes. The, the value on that date. I never could figure out whether, like it doesn't close, so that market doesn't close, so you pick a value to that mm -hmm. date. When you donate crypto, you actually have to get a uh, appraisal. Kind of weird, but you actually have to, there's companies that'll do it for 300 bucks, but they'll value your crypto on that date, give you a little letter so you can donate it. But crypto is one of those interesting areas where I've gotten more people get incensed at the idea that they get taxed on mining it. And I'm like, you're, you're mining something. You're mining something of value. Mm -hmm. It wasn't there and now, now it's there. Yes, you're solving equations and you're spending a bunch of energy on it, but the IRS treats that as no different than if you made anything else. Here's its value in your hand, and then they're going to let you treat it as a capital asset beyond that. It's one of the few pieces of inventory that is taxed when created. Which is weird. Which is weird. Is gold taxed that way? Mm, only I when I change way. it from lead to gold. Yeah, when you are the alchemist. Uh, but yeah, so... So crypto earnings, I guess this is the easiest way to look at it when, when the questions put it this way, one of your earnings tax upon the sale or, or, or trading it for something else. Easiest way to look at it. Yep. Fun stuff. Oh, and a soft fork is not taxable. Hard fork is taxable. Hard fork, ordinary income, every other sale, like when you sell crypto, generally is treated as capital. Fun stuff. For real estate professional status, which activities classify for the 750 hours? Does training, traveling, search for property? Uh, it's going to be real estate activities in your real estate business. Okay, so far. Okay. It does not include real estate financing. Traveling generally does not get included in that 750 hours. And I wouldn't think training would either. So, so there's two tests. Right. Whatever we deal with, uh, passive activity loss rules, and we're trying to take the real estate mm -hmm. profession. Task number one is one spouse, if it's a married filing jointly, or just the taxpayer, if it's single, has to meet the 750 hours in a real estate trader business. And it could be multiple real estate trades or business. I could be in construction. I could be a real estate agent, but I have to hit 750 hours and it has to be more than half of my personal services for that year. That's test number one has nothing to do with my properties. Test number two is, did I materially participate on my properties? And again, if it's married, filing jointly, you add them up. If it's one person, it's just them. And there's seven tests to meet material participation. The problem is, is that training, traveling, and searching for properties is investor activity. It doesn't follow into either bucket, except in extraordinary circumstances. 
So generally speaking, if Jeff is driving around looking for properties, if he's scouring the internet looking for deals, he can't add that to his real estate trader business. Because let's say, let's say Jeff is in construction. What does searching for investment properties have to do with, with his construction business? Now, if what he's doing is he's flipping and it's part of his business, you may be able to put it under there. Or if it's part of Jeff's licensing, where he has to get continuing education to keep his construction license, then that's going to be included. But the IRS likes to say, oh, you're acting as an investor, doesn't count towards anything, or you're in your trader Mm -hmm. business. And we've seen folks that track their time and they tracked a whole bunch of education and looking around for properties. And they said, that's my trader business. And you're like, that's not. Right. It would have to fall in. Like if you're a realtor and you have to do continuing education, yeah, okay, then that would that, that would work. If you have to go to a conference as part of your organization, yeah, that would be part of your 750 hours. It is not part of your material participation on your properties. The material participation on your properties is the management, negotiating leases, fixing things, overseeing construction on your property or repair. And the hours are much, much less. It could be literally a hundred hours or less, depending on the level of your activity compared to other people's. But the, the you know, the get out of jail card, uh, free card between a husband and wife is 500 hours. As long as you hit 500 hours of material participation on your properties, and you could group all your properties as one. As long as you do that, you've hit the material participation level, but they're two very, very different things. I always like looking at those. I know it gets complicated, guys. That's uh, just to be annoying, 469C7 is the code provision that covers passive activities and spe- specifies this exclusion. There's one other, by the way, there's active participation, which doesn't require much of anything other than managing the manager, uh, but it phases out. If you if your adjusted gross income goes over 100,000 bucks, then it starts to phase out. That's for $25,000 a year. So there are some little things that you could use in the code. You just have to be aware. And then you have to make a good how do you say a narrative? So if you're doing training and traveling and searching for properties, it better be part of your real estate trader business. Otherwise, upon examination, the IRS is going to say no. And especially if you're right at 750 hours, they have a catch-all which says, if you just did the time to meet 750 hours, they can ignore it. So you got to make sure you're tracking this stuff and it's really legitimately part of your business. Anything else on that one? No, sir. could blabble about that stuff all day long. All right, let's talk about short-term rentals. So in this case, uh, let's see what it says. I self-manage a single short-term rental that I own. I want to pay my kid who is 16 years old for doing legit work for the Airbnb at a reasonable rate. Do I just write them a check every month based on the hours they log? Or do I have to hire a payroll company to issue them a check? I do not have any other employees. If I don't hire a payroll company, how do I issue them a W-2 form? You hire a payroll company or hire somebody to do your payroll for you. It may not be a paychecks or an ADP or some of the others, but uh, here's why you want to do payroll in this case. It's probably through your Schedule C or I guess it could be through your S corporation. But if you just write them a check every month and then 1099 at the end of the year, they're going to have to pay self-employment tax. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you W-2 them and you pay them with paychecks through your Schedule C, your sole proprietorship, or your partnership, you don't have to withhold payroll taxes on them. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to what is the short-term rental and how is it taxed? 
if this is a short-term rental that's in a LLC that's disregarded or an LLC that's taxed as a partnership, then you don't have to do any payroll or anything, right? Mm-hmm. You can literally just pay them and you don't have to, and you, you don't have to worry about withholding. And employment well, I think tax. you still have to do payroll, but you just don't report any of the tax. You don't have to report any of the tax. In other words, you're just running it through. Would, would they have to go through a payroll company to do that? Or could they do that with a account? They could do it themselves or with um, a QuickBooks. I think you can do it. Roy is all, all over this subject. Uh, you can just call us. And, our, and if you're working with our tax department, then you could just have them do it. If somebody says if it's 600 bucks or less, I don't think you have to file it as payroll. There's, yeah, there is a de minimis amount. I forget what that is. Uh, no de minimis for payroll, is only it, for 1099s. Is it, uh, I thought it was like 1500 or something like that. Is there some weird one? Maybe Troy knows. Troy, you're smart. Can you- Hello, it's me, Troy. Hey. Okay, so Jeff is correct. The $600 is for 1099s, not for payroll. Um, so that's the case. Yeah, you could do like quarterly payroll or uh, annual payroll rather than doing, um, you know, weekly or biweekly. However, you still are required to fill out the quarterly payroll forms. Even if they're zeros, you still have to file them. So could you do that at the end of the year? Um, You can't do the quarterly filings at the end of the year because you'll accrue penalties if you're late filing. So you want to to stay on top of those. Even if there's Um, nothing good or do they they penalize you a dollar amount or... You're asking me hard questions on the spot here, Toby. But yeah, <laughs> there is a there is a penalty for for not not filing timely with those quarterly reports. So your zeros. so your best bet is just to put it through payroll. Then yeah, can somebody do that individually because there's zeros? Could they just what, what do they have to do? The electronic payment thing, or what do they do? Yeah, honestly, for the for the zero reports, those are really easy. It's knowing what your EIN number is and and filling out your your basic information, putting zeros on the dollar amounts. So that part's easy. And then, you know, you could work with a, a ADP or Anderson or Intuit or, or whoever uh, to do the big payroll at the end of the year. Yeah, but what if you have no actual payroll? What if it's just a husband and wife, they own the partnership, they want to pay the kid? Is that a big deal? Like, would you just do it once a year? Yeah, you could do that. It, it's the problem is, is if you're doing it by yourself, um, figuring out those calculations can be a little difficult, especially if there's states involved. What if there's zero? They're all zeros. You're not paying anything, right? Well, if they're all zeros, then correct. But that one at the end of the year is not going to be zeros, right? Because you're paying, because you because you have to put the amount that you actually paid your-, your Correct, your, right. The child probably won't pay tax on it. There's no withholding. There's no nothing. There's a lot of zeros, plus the one amount that you paid. Yeah. So I guess, uh, what would you say, Troy? Just have them reach out if they need that. Yeah, uh, you reach out or we can get you set up with ADP. We have a, a partnership with them as well. But yeah, we can definitely help out. That's relatively inexpensive, the program we have with ADP, isn't it? For- yeah, I, th- I want to say it's like 600 bucks a year or something like that. It's not a huge, huge number. I mean, it, it might be worth it for the tax benefit to do it and make sure, have that peace of mind. So yeah. Yeah, because you pay the 16-year-old. Let's say you pay them $10,000 a year. They're going to have zero federal income taxes. They could throw... What is this? This year, seven thousand um, into the Roth IRA, and literally never pay tax on any of that money or the growth ever again. Seems like it might be worth it. Yep. So there, fun stuff. Thanks, Troy. No problem. One thing I did want to clarify real quick is on that zero federal tax, zero withholding, zero taxes. That is only if it's a partnership or a entity that's disregarded to your ten forty, not right. a corporation. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that we. 
specify that, but we'll make it clear. If they're doing a C Corp or an S Corp, you're paying into Social Security, which isn't bad. Like you're going to cover, you're going to go what? We have 40 quarters in order to qualify. So it's going to be a really small amount, but then they could also jam that. And now, now you have up to, uh, what is it? 20, 23,000 this year, uh, 401k where you could jam that much into a Roth. But if you're paying your child even a little bit more, you might be able to get all that into a Roth. It's fun. Anyway, thank you, Troy, for jumping on. But I like having accountants around here. Thank God. Surrounded by them. All right. So, uh, cat without hitting one. What? Can't swing a cat without hitting one. All right. I want to swing my kitties. They're good kitties. All right. So do I have to write a check every month based on the hours they log? Not necessarily. You could pay probably quarterly. Um, yeah, that, that's actually another reason to talk to somebody beforehand. Uh, you don't want to be writing a check and calling those checks payroll because then that gets into the whole situation where Troy was talking about if I pay Toby today and say it's payroll, then I have to file that first quarter report with numbers on it. Here's some instances. Don't I just need to file the W-2, W-3 and skip the 940, 941s? No, no. To do the 940s? Yes. They have to match your W-2 and you will get notified if they don't. Yeah. Or the W-3, thank you. W-3. All right, let's move on. Yes, sir. Hi, I'm planning to start lending money to real estate investors. <clears throat> Other private money lenders I know of do their lending business through an S-Corp. I currently don't have an LLC or an S-Corp for lending. I only have a Wyoming holding LLC that I open to use for real estate investing. Which would you advise is best for private money lender, an LLC, an S Corp, or other, and why? Thanks in advance. Do not do it through your Wyoming LLC. That's a start. I like the S Corporation rather than the disregarded LLC if all you're doing is lending through this because everything you make in interest is considered ordinary income in that business. Whereas if I have this business and I also lend Toby some money, that interest is just interest income to me. So there is a difference there. And you kind of want that status in case something goes south that you can write off that bad debt, whereas you're unable to do that otherwise. So I like the S corporation because there's no self-employment tax on your earnings. Yeah, uh, I will say that I like to keep things once removed from my pot of money. So if I have cash in a Wyoming holding entity, or if I have other business interests, uh, maybe it's holding some real estate LLCs, the last thing I want to do is have Dodd-Frank claim or something else bring somebody right into where I have all my assets. And so I would want it once removed. I want to have that. It could be an S corp. Somebody says, could it be a C corp? It could absolutely be a C corp. And what I would do is I would loan the money to the C corp. Let's say I, I loan the money to the C corp at AFR rates, which right around 5%. And it turns around and lends it for 10%. And there's that little 5% that it's making and it's paying my expenses. It's reimbursing and everything else. And it gets it down to zero. That's a big win for me. I still have interest in, but I didn't. Uh, but what I've done is I've created a buffer between me and the individuals to whom I'm lending, and I do have other deductions that I might be entitled to. Um, if it's going to be a, if it's going to be pure profit, like you're just doing gravy here and you don't have a lot of expenses, or you have another business where you write off a lot of your expenses, then I'm with Jeff. You're probably doing it as an S corp and just letting it hit your return but you don't want to have to be forced to take a salary out of it. So the good part about using an S-Corp is that the nature of the income is maintained when you do that. Mm-hmm. Agree. But, you know, so it's like, it's pretend that I'm the pot of gold and Jeff is the S-Corp. I'm loaning money to Jeff. Jeff is loaning it out to other people. If somebody sues, they're coming after Jeff. Well, Jeff doesn't have a lot because he owes me all the money, right? I loaned it to him. He loaned it to you. 
So it takes it out of the firing line of that individual if there's anything that goes wrong. Yep. So asset protection side. All right. I turned a home into a rental in the middle of the year. Can I take a whole year of depreciation? Can I utilize cost segregation? And what value do I have to use when starting out since I owned the home for several years? Do I use the current value of my home or do I have to use the cost basis of the home when I purchased it? Good questions. And the, the, the answer to the depreciation question is no. You start your depreciation in the middle of the month that you converted it to the straight the, line. Yes, the rental property. You can do a cost segregation, but I'm, I'm going to talk about basis, which is the second half of this question. Is your basis is going to be your cost in the home and not just your purchase price, any improvements you made. My house, I built a pool, I put solar panels on, uh, I did yeah. this and that. Yeah, I'm broke. So that all solar includes- panels, you got a nice. Oh. oh, wait, it doesn't help you if you're doing it for the pool. <laughs> no, I no, these are right, real solar panels. Oh, yes, yeah. So not the pool heating. You got a 30% extra. I do. Um, so yeah, all of that. And if you put solar panels on that kind of confuses things, but we'll get into that, uh, at another time. So your basis in the property is not only what you purchase it for, plus your closing costs, but everything else that improvement wise you put into the house. Now there's one specific rule. I turn my principal residence into a rental property. If the value of the property has increased, I use that higher fair market value. If the fair market value has gone down below my basis, then we use my basis and not my fair market value. Still. Not likely to happen in this recent market, but. But but again, let's break these things into their little pieces. Yep. So we have the depreciation. Let's say I bought a house. Let's say it was a $400,000 house. Land was 100. The improvement was 300. I put about $30,000 into it. So now my improvement value is 330,000. And I put it into service in the middle of a year. Mm-hmm. Let's say that it's that that that's what I've been doing. My basis is higher than the fair market value. I'm I'm taking that right. Yep. Um. So our yeah, but the fair market value has to be equal or greater than basis. Really. Correct. Right. So I let's say they're roughly equivalent. So you're going to start writing off the twenty-seven and a half year property mid-year. Is it mid-year? Right in the middle. Mid-month. So mid-month. So if they put it in in June, it would be the middle of June? Yes. All right. So you get that portion, 27 and a half years. Let's start it. You're going to get half of a year. But let's say we cost seg. Cost segregation just means we're breaking out the personal property from the real estate improvements, the structural components. So let's like my driveways, that's 15-year property, shrubs and everything I put in there in the trees, uh, fences, all that stuff is 15-year property. Carpet is a five-year property, the appliances, the counters, window you know, uh, treatments, all that stuff might be five-year property. So I have a whole bunch of five, seven, and 15-year property. Boom. Those, I can accelerate the depreciation. If it's this year, in 2024, it's 60%. If I put the property into service in 2023, sounds like last year, it's 80% of that. You could write off in year one. Mm-hmm. Period. It's not partial. It's not half the year. If you put it into service in December, you could still get the 80% deduction. It's just like buying a pizza oven for your pizza business. You're writing that puppy off at the end of the year. Everybody runs out and buys a vehicle with a gross vehicle weight of over $6,000. That's what they're doing, even though they have no idea that's what they're going to do to themselves the next five years by doing that. But we love our accountants that like to do that. Like, 
Aye, aye, aye. Um, but if, if it's truly equipment, so like you are doing that, then you get to write that puppy off in that year. So the answer to your question is, can I take the whole year of depreciation? No. Can I utilize cost segregation? Yes. And what value do I use for starting the home? The, the basis plus any improvement, so the adjusted basis. And then I'm going to put a caveat that if you cost seg the property that is five, seven, and 15 year, you can write off the, in bonus, that depreciation and write it all off in year one to the extent that you, you can, the 60%. So in your scenario, and, and I'm bringing this up because it comes up in a later question. If I just don't cost seg, I'm probably going to get it about $5,500, $5,000 of depreciation in year one. If I do cost seg, that number's going to rise to somewhere between forty and $50,000. Yeah, and the number I gave when I said it was 100 and 400, mm-hmm. it's actually going to be a little bit higher because you're going to see, uh, on average, you're probably about 30% of the uh, of the basis. So you're probably talking about 120,000. 60% of that is what, 72,000. And then you're still writing off the rest. And somebody says, would, I, would it have been better to sell the home to an LLC before running it out? It would have to be another taxpayer. So unfortunately, it'd probably be, have to be an S-corp. You could do that. We do that. I'll tell you when we do that. It's very seldom you want to see a piece of property in a corp. But when you see it, it's almost always because you wanted to take advantage of the 121 exclusion that you were going to lose if you just sat on the house. Mm-hmm. And so you're not paying any tax and you're adjusting your basis up and then you're depreciating it faster. Okay, here's, here, I, I, I see you reading questions, but something you just made me think of is it was my personal residence. I turn it into rental, take this bonus depreciation on the cost segregation, and I run it out for between two and two and a half years. Then I can turn around, take that $500,000 exclusion on my gain, plus I can 1031 that exchange that. That's a really good point. So you, here we have a home that, that we turn into a rental. Was that a personal residence that was used as your primary residence two out of the last five years? So you have three years to do this. Then you could take the 121 exclusion, which if you don't know what that is, it's a $500,000 exclusion if you're married filing jointly on your primary residence, so long as you lived in it two of the last five years. Very important. As your primary residence, not as just a typical, not a second home, but your primary residence. And uh, you could do that. And then you have a uh, 1031 for the rest of it. So you could you could literally double up. That's really smart. I get that way sometimes. But uh, yeah, it, I hope you guys are starting to realize that there's lots of different ways to, to get where you want to go. And there's some complexities here, but it's not rocket science. It's you're just sitting here bantering this stuff back and forth, looking for the best way to do this for you. And that's the fun of it. Speaking of fun, again, we have the Tax and Asset Protection Workshop coming up this weekend. I think we have another one on the 11th and another one on January 20th. But if you want to learn about LLCs, land trusts, corporations, dealer status, 1031s, how depreciation works, that thing called cost segregation, common errors that accountants make, and then even learning about estate planning and how to use a living trust and the three options you have when you're looking at estate planning and the four ways to distribute estate, we go over all of that on Saturday at the tax and asset protection event and also on that Thursday and the following Saturday, the 20th. They're a little bit of fun. You can always come and you always learn something new. I've been doing them for 25 years and I still pick stuff up where I'm like, gosh, I forgot about that. That's pretty cool. Or you see somebody's scenario and you have to work through it. Like even now, Jeff, you've been doing this for how long? 33 years. 33 years. I'm 25 years. And 
you still see stuff where it's like, well, it could be this, this, or this, right? You're just trying to find the best way to navigate your way. And, you know, and you're, it's a little bit of a game. If you look at it that way, you're a lot happier. You just get mad at the tax code, then you're pretty miserable. Uh, somebody says, can we get a recording of this? Uh, let's see. I think uh, oh, for the tax and AP, yeah, we don't do recordings. For this, we do. I think we break mm -hmm. them down and put them on YouTube. And then uh, if, and if you're a uh, Platinum, I think you automatically get it. But I think we send everybody a, the, the link to the copy. You don't have to go through the pieces. You just go right, go through the whole thing. All right. This is a fun one. I have a 50-50 partnership with a friend and we own two short-term rentals together. Each of us is materially participating in one short-term rental each. Is there a way to take full cost seg advantage against our respective W-2s or can we only take 50% of one property against your W-2 and for the other person, it will go to the passive bucket and vice versa for the other property? Correct. Uh, I, this, this really made my, I had to stretch my brain for this one. So we got a partnership with two properties in it. Toby does all the work on one. I do all the work on the other. The partnership is materially participating, which is important. But when, once it's reported to my 1040 and your 1040, I'm only material participating in one of the entities. What if it's one entity and we elect to group the, all the activities as one activity? It's not going to matter here because it's a short-term rental. Even with short terms, we can't match them up? No. Well... I think you can group. So you're electing the group? Yeah, that one I take two, two rentals and I treat them as one activity. And then the only question is, did I materially participate so that when I get the depreciation or the loss, because this is going to be a trade or a business, right? If it's, if it's seven days or less, this is not a rental activity. So when, when, when people hear short-term rental, you should think pizza shop. We're running a pizza shop. And let's say we have two pizza shops. Jeff has one on the south end of town. I got one on the north end of town. And we treat them as one activity. It's really one restaurant. We are both materially participating in that. Couldn't we both get that deduction? Yeah, you probably could. If, if we go back to the aspect that it's a trade or business, mm -hmm. it only matters that I'm part, materially participating in the partnership, not yeah. the activities within the partnership. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like having five restaurants. Did I materially participate? Do I have to do each restaurant or... If I lump them as one activity, as one economic unit, I can do that, right? Yes, yes. Any of the accountants out there? So Ross, Tanya, Jared, Elliot, Troy. I know Elia, Elliot has looked at this. Lisa, Amanda, any of you guys, anybody want to chime in? Can we group our friends, the two VRBOs? Or let's say we have an Airbnb and VRBO. Jeff works one, I work the other, but we're a partnership. Um, can I, we? I, yeah. Toby, I think what happens is you, uh, Jeff was right. You have to you do the material participation at the partnership level, so then both activities will be split out amongst the two K ones. I think is how it happened. I don't know that we would group here because grouping is a taxpayer thing that happens on the ten forty, not at the partnership levels. My uh, so we're just we're just using the partnership. So as long as they have one partnership, let's say they had a single LLC that owned these two. I think this is that classic situation where each partner has to have over 500 hours. Uh, one can't have less because otherwise we're looking at the 100 or more than anybody else tests. So as long as they both have 500 hours, uh, material participation within the partnership activity, I think then they both, although know, you just split out the activity, I don't think you would send necessarily one short terminal to one partner and the other to the other. Yeah, you, Elliot, you wouldn't split out the activities because you don't do that with short term rentals. You only do that with long term rentals. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I would, I would put it all under the 
the partnership level to see if they materially participate. Well, yeah, it would just be ordinary income of the partnership. Yeah, so it's, it's no different than if they ran pizza shops. Let, let's say they didn't do that, and they each had a short-term rental, and they each had a passive interest in each other's short-term rentals. Then you could do it that way, too, and say, hey, I'm going to, this is mine, this is one I materially participated, and the other one I'm passive, in which case I think th what they said here is 50% flows to the one individual as a material participant, 50% flows to the second individual as a passive activity, and vice versa on the other property. But keep in mind, they have to be under the same entity umbrella for this to work. If you have them in two different entities, this is probably going to fail. Well, I would think that would work. The 50% passive would work if they're in two different LLCs, right? Like if I have property A and I'm running it and you're just a passive owner and property B, you're running it and I'm just a passive owner, then I get the K-1 off of this one, it's passive. I get the K-1 off of this one, it's active. Vice versa for you, you're getting the active over here and the passive over here. But if we want right, to treat right, them, right. if we want to treat them all as one big old active activity, which is ideal, I think, which would be ideal. Yeah, obviously that's best for everybody if they want to have ordinary loss and they materially participate. Which for the test, I think, I think uh, Elliot's right. I think it's the 500 hour test because how could you meet the 100 hour? You're not married. Be more than anybody else. You both both have to hit that. So if I want to have these two properties in their own LLCs, disregarded to the partnership, that doesn't change anything, right? No, that would be fine too. Yeah, we could do that. So again, different routes to go. And the, you know, there's some questions here. You say short-term rental, are you really hitting seven days or less? Who's doing what on which property? What's the basis of these? Does one look really good and very attractive from a depreciation? The other one's not so great. Mm -hmm. All those get factored in. All right. As a W-2 earner, can I save taxes if I buy a long-term rental? Probably not. Oh, no, so negative. Probably not at this time, I'll say. So the problem with long-term rentals is unless you're a real estate professional or uh, active, uh, what's it called? Active participant. Active participant. Any losses you have are probably going to be suspended. No, they will be suspended. There's no probably about it. Well, okay, so let's break this down because you're giving the, the right answer, but let's- What what did the accountant say? Well, I'm looking at saying, <laughs> right, there's a W-2 earner. Yeah. And he, they obviously want to offset the W-2 income, but they ask, can I save taxes if I buy a long-term rental? Well, if that long-term rental is kicking you $20,000 a year and because of depreciation, you don't have to pay tax on it, then I say, yeah, you're saving taxes. If you want to offset your W-2 income, you have to fall into one of two categories. It's going to either be uh, active participant, which means you have to be making less than $100,000 of adjusted gross income up to 150, phases out, and you could write off up to $25,000. And there's no real special bells and whistles. You just have to be managing the manager. And the other side is being a real estate professional, which is the two-part test we discussed earlier. 750 hours, more than 50% of your time, personal service time in a real estate trader business or real estate trades or businesses, you could have multiple and you have to materially participate on your long-term rental. It's going to be really tough to do yep. unless you're managing that long-term rental and you better be in a real estate business. So if you're a W-2 earner, unless you're a real estate agent or a construction or something and you own more than 5% of that business as well, it's going to be really a tough road for you. 
it's probably going to be that active participation. That might be the case. So we'd have to see what your income is. But you can save on long-term rentals, but there are hoops you'd have to jump through. And it might be impractical, which is why Jeff is very hesitant to say, because we deal with this all the time. Someone comes in and says, I want to write this off. Okay, 750 hours. Uh, one spouse has to qualify. It has to be real estate trades or businesses. Here's the list the IRS gives us. And you have to materially participate in all your properties. We're probably going to group them all together and treat them, aggregate them all as one activity, yada, yada, yada. Like there's some hoops you have to jump through. If you do hit it, it's great. It's like a grand slam. If you don't, it's a big whiff, right? And you get no benefit. You either strike out or you hit a grand slam in that. Here's an interesting, I'm getting a lot of pushback against cost segregation from my accountants. They say it could trigger personal property issues in Maryland and that the cost of the study is prohibitive. What do you say? Uh, when they say it could cause property issues in Maryland, I think they're talking about personal property taxes. Mm -hmm. And here's my honest answer. So what? Uh, the, the personal property taxes in most states is based on uh, the ad valorem, they call it. Uh, it's based on the current value. They usually have depreciation schedules of their own. And it's, it, it's not that much but when property you a, tax. When you do a cost segregation, I think that the personal property is still treated as real estate for state tax purposes. I, I don't know. I have not dealt with a cost segregation with a uh, personal property tax. I've, I've done them. I've actually, I think we've done them in Maryland and we've never had an issue. So all I can say is if your accountant's pushing back, it's probably because they haven't done it. What they may want to do is talk to, uh, like we have a great relationship with cost seg authority. They do them all over the country. Yes. Never had an issue. Never had an issue in Maryland that I'm aware of, that I know of. I don't think so. But the other question, yeah, Patty just says, nope, we've never had an issue. But the other issue is the cost of the study being prohibitive, and it yeah. used to be, and it depends on who you're working with. But I, I use a simple rule. The, if Is the juice worth the squeeze? I want a 7x time return on whatever the amount is. So if it's 2,000 bucks, mm -hmm. I want to save 14. If it's $3,000, I want to save 21,000. And the idea is that a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. A dollar today is worth more than a dollar in five years. A dollar today is worth more than a dollar in 15 years, right? So I want to accelerate that depreciation now. And if I can get a, at least a seven to one, I'm taking it, taking it all day long. And I'm going to reinvest that money. It's going to save me money. It's going to put it in my pocket. And those types of studies to get to your number to see whether it's worth it is free. So we have great relationships. You can reach out to us as CostSeg Authority. It's Eric Oliver that we've worked with for years. We've done hundreds of studies with them, probably more than that. I don't even know how many studies we've done over the years, but it's a lot and they do a great job and we've just had great results. We've never had an issue. So I'm not sure if you heard what Toby said about CostSeg Authority, I know will give you an estimate of how much your depreciation, how much you're going to save before they actually do the study. Yeah, they won't charge you a dime. They'll say, here's, Give me your numbers, give me your tax, give me this, and we'll lay it down. Uh, they'll send you a link. Uh, Patty probably has it. Uh, I think it's aba.link forward slash CSA, CostSeg Authority. They'll ask you a few questions about the address type of building. They've done them all over the place. They use engineers. They're super great. Oh, it's andersonadvisors.com forward slash CSA. But they'll do that all free uh, just because they like our clients. So I think your account, I'm not going to say they're wrong, but I think their concerns are. But, a little dramatic. So I have a simple rule. If they're not up on it, they're down on it. And so if they don't want to be involved, then they'll find a way not to be involved, even if it's in your best interest. And I, again, there's, there's, there's three rules I use whenever it's 
finance or tax. Are you ready? It's real simple. Three rules. Super, super simple. Calculate, calculate, calculate. You got to give somebody options and they should give you the option to say whether it's cost prohibitive because if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I would have done that for 1500 bucks and it would have saved you 50 grand, you're going to want to punch your account, right? And I don't want you to punch your account. Accountants work hard, but sometimes they need to learn a few new tricks. So let's get the numbers. Then they'll probably be so happy and they'll say, that was never like that before. Or they'll say, I did not know that. I'm so happy. Maybe I'll give you a big discount on your return. Said no accountant ever. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. There's my buddy, Toby. Hey, there's me. Uh, we are only at, what is it, 739 videos to date. We, so we're, we're very modest in the amount that we publish. Now we do, we do try to put some stuff out there, including you'll see some of these questions pop up if we think they're good. Uh, we'll share them out there, but you can absolutely go on to the YouTube channel and register. Hopefully uh, we get over the hump of the 300,000 because that would be cool. I don't know what that does. I think it means that my cats might sit on my lap a little bit longer and purr just a little bit louder. Uh, and then the tax and AP event with Clint, we got one coming up on Saturday. So please join us for that. There's some other uh, events coming up as well in January, but the fun one will be this weekend because we haven't done one for several weeks where we're tromping at the bit. And we really like to do one. If you have questions in the meantime, we don't charge you for this. Just reach out to us at uh, TaxTuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com. We'll answer your questions to the best of our ability, and we may pick one and throw it up on the screen during one of these events. So keep it generic. Uh, don't put all your name. We'll take your name out of it anyway. But uh, uh, we'll always take a look at it. And then a big old thank you to Patty, Matthew, Elliot, Troy, Yulia, Ross, Tanya, Jared, Amanda, and Elisa. They've been answering questions. They still have a few questions to get to. They're getting through as fast as they can. And uh, so do not worry, even though we may go away now and say sayonara, if you are waiting on a question, just hang out. They will answer your questions. They get through them quick. So I'd imagine within five minutes of the end, you will have an answer. So stay on if you have an un unanswered question. If you leave, you're not going to get your answer. So just stick tight. If you have a pending question, we will get to it. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks yep. uh, at another Tax Tuesday. People always say, why do we do this? Because it's fun and it's interesting and it keeps us always engaged at what's going on out there. There's all sorts of stuff changing all the time and it's pretty tough to keep up on. So that at least this way, every two weeks we can get together and say, hey, has anything changed? Uh, we'll just keep you posted. And believe it or not, if you just listen to these, the anxiety level of being around taxes and doing taxes, you're going to hear something that's going to prompt a savings at some point. And you're also going to hear something that makes you go, oh, good, I did that right. Maybe give you a little bit of peace of mind. And uh, if you hear something that you've just never heard of before that might be applicable to you, it's really fun to find that money. Sometimes it's just like, yay me, get to keep some do more dollars in your pocket. And I have a real simple philosophy. You're probably a better steward of your money than the government. Nothing against the government but they don't spend the money that well. I'd rather you keep the money and you decide what you want to do with it. You have to pay the government your fair share, but you don't have to leave them tips. <laughs> and so we're going to do our best to keep some of that tip money in your pocket. Anything else, Jeffro? No. All right. Happy 2024. We'll see you in two weeks. Hey, thanks for watching. Click the link so you can join us live and get your question answered 
by myself and my tax team. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 